Homestyle Green, episode 183. What's it like to finally live in your very own passive house? G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. Ben Adam Smith is, uh, he's been on the show before actually, and he is the founder and creator of House Planning Help. Based in the UK, Ben's background is actually in radio and video production, but he wanted a good house for, at the time, him and his wife. Six years on, they have two young children, and he has just completed building his own passive house. This was a fantastic opportunity now that he's moved in. He's had a few months living in wintertime in the UK uh, in his passive house, and we caught up to find out what he learned from the process and what he enjoys most about living in a passive house. Well, the first thing is how does it how does it feel? Like what what would you how do you describe it right now? How how does it feel to be in there? It feels like we've lived here forever. That is the strangest part because you've obviously designed this house and you know it inside out and then when you step in here from day 1 it's just all instinctive. You know where everything is. I was a little bit concerned as well because sometimes people say the kids move into the house and they've got these lovely bedrooms and then they don't want to sleep there. There's something funny or they want to <laughs> go and sleep with their brother or sister. None of that happened. We showed them the their rooms and they just thought, yeah, and went for it. So very happy to be here. It's been a six-year journey altogether from yeah. the dreaming stage right through to a bit of a chore looking for land and then – we spent about a year going through all the design stage and finding a contractor and then nine to 10 months actually on the build. Yeah. So you've documented that whole journey pretty well and people can go and have a, have a look at that and your posts and, and have, a, have a look at the process that you've been through. But just very briefly, how much of a move has it been for the whole family? Like in, you know, how far have you moved geographically? And how different is it in terms of size from what you you were in? Well, we wanted to stay ideally in the town where we are called Hartford. And that proved very, very difficult because mm. land price is very high. I mean, they're high where we have moved to. Really what ended up happening is we followed the land trail because there was no great control about where will we find this opportunity. We just have to keep looking, keep learning how to do it and try as many different routes of finding land. What eventually happened was very strange that, A, we're in a brilliant village. It's about 10 minutes from where we used to live and it's in an area that my ancestors would have farmed so mm. they were two brothers that farmed neighboring villages and even weirder than that we knew that one of them had built had built his own house and from our piece of land we stare up to the house that they built so talk about <laughs> meant to be <laughs> feels yeah. like we're back at home yeah wow and how much of a change is it, uh, you, you mentioned the kids just, just went straight in there and loved it. How much of a change is it in terms of size and, and what they've got from what they had before? Well, I think your home is really where you are. We have a lot more space here. One of the things was that when you have a larger piece of land, 
you've actually got to build to that size. So we mm-hmm. bought a piece of land that had all the planning go-aheads attached to it. It was actually for a much bigger house than we've built here. However, even if we've virtually halved the footprint, maybe not the footprint, we've halved the size of the house, uh, it's still 226 square meters. And at one stage, we were living in a 60 square meter house. So we've gone up a lot in terms of size. I think if there's any right time in our life, it is now. But yeah. I don't think any two ways about it living in the town. If we just stayed where we were, that would have been more ecological than moving into something bigger and building an ecological home. However, yeah. you could flip it again and say, well, there's going to be a bigger house here. It wouldn't have been passive house standard. So yeah. we've helped achieve something better on this site that was always going to get developed anyway. Right. Uh, and financially has moving away a little bit further out of an urban center allowed you to move into something bigger or you know, how, how have you no. how have you managed to, it's, <laughs> you just it's made no difference i think <laughs> what has happened in the end is that a we knew that this was going to cost a lot of money as, as the time went on um we knew that was the case the other thing was that we mean living in this small house when we didn't need to the purpose of staying there was because we were trying to put pressure on ourselves and that pressure grew as we had a second child as well mm. that we need to step into the build or else we're going to end up just buying another house and then we'll probably get comfortable or we'll knock that about and mess around for a few years so when we actually did find this piece of land, it was the last chance. You know, we yeah. had two kids. We were surviving in a small house. We knew we could do that for a while. Um, being here, one of the principles behind the house that I still love, and I think it's great, I learned this from Sarah Suzanka, um, an American architect, who says, try and design a house where you use all the space every day. And although we haven't got that to the letter, because we do have one guest room, which is empty most of the time but everything else in the house where i'm standing now it could be a bedroom but it's my office i'm here at the moment the kids have their rooms Uh, my wife and i have our room all the bathrooms get used we've got a living space which is our kitchen dining room and living space and then we've got a a snug and a washroom and that's pretty much all of the rooms downstairs toilets and all of that space virtually gets used every day and i think that that's one of my favorite tips i love that because it's so easy to understand that it doesn't rule out anything if you want to have your indoor gym so long as you're using it every day then it's allowable but if you yeah. get it just because you think oh well, i can afford it and then it just stays empty then it is an absolute waste it's a it's a simple concept but i can imagine that it could be quite hard to achieve because it requires good design and potentially really knowing what your intended lifestyle is going to be as well. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. One thing that was interesting was when we first moved in, the snug is effectively a TV room and somewhere that the the kids can go and we can actually continue in the main living space. But we didn't have a TV. We put that pretty low down the priorities. So without a TV, it's just, why are you going to go in there? There's there's no reason to go in there unless you want to read a book and our kids Uh aren't quite old enough to be left on their own. So that didn't get used. Luckily, the in-laws gave us a Christmas present, which was a TV. And now oh, that's all sort of that, that's adjusted that so that that room's being used well. Another thing that I can say is quite interesting is we've got a back door. And one of the cutbacks, you get to a stage in the process where you've got to just think, well, what can we really afford? And so we've just mm-hmm. got shingle, a pathway going around the 
the house and it's very noisy to walk on shingle it had initially been uh, paved mm -hmm. and i think uh, personally i'm reluctant to use that entrance because i know you have to trudge 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 around the house whereas if it had been paved maybe i would use it It'd be much quieter to nip in and out of the back so things like that do change how you use the house mm. yeah yeah and i guess that's you always sort of find those things that you you maybe do slightly differently or, or you, you don't very hard to predict until you actually live in it. I think one of the things that I might have changed, it's very difficult because I, I feel in the position of, I always want to keep learning. And yep. in my membership community, the hub, we've covered quite a lot of builds, but we haven't covered one of the most popular in the UK, which is a masonry build. I don't know whether you ever do these in New Zealand. It's not actually many parts of the world that do it. So I wanted to experience it myself and to build a passive house that way. Mm -hmm. But having done that and learned everything that I've learned, it's actually quite a complicated way of achieving a passive house. And it relies a lot on good design and also that it's effectively built by your contractor on site that they, they do it with well, attention to detail. Whereas some systems, it's actually quite hard to get wrong. But it's interesting to have gone through that process. But now I'm living in the house and thinking, oh, it would have been nice to have straw bales or uh, it would have been nice to have used one of the timber frame systems that I've seen so yeah you know, is that i don't know whether that's a something that i would like to revert uh, it's, what, it's just a thought was it, at the back of my mind what was it that made the masonry hard it's really that every block that goes down all the insulation is put in manually so you have to make sure that it's all lined up you know everything is coming together through workmanship right right and it's so much more yeah and he's got every individual block instead of uh, a sheet cladding, for example, you got larger areas and fewer Yeah, joints. a lot of the, it, you could say something like uh, insulated concrete formwork. It's just, you know, you've almost got something airtight. Even if you weren't building to passive house standard, you've got that airtight shell pretty much if you just sort out the, the windows and other ways. Um, there's a system called PH15, which is a passive house system where, yeah, you just you've just got to make sure there is a bit of i suppose element to workmanship there where you've got to make sure the tape is in across the boards in the right place but it's pretty yeah. standard carpentry you put it all up and then you put the osb on the airtight osb and then you've just got to make sure the taping's there but mm. I, I think that these sorts of ways and then you could take it one stage further that what could be done in the factory you know that's probably the way we're all moving yeah. isn't it or modular so that it would fit together airtight in the yep. future i think that's where it's heading so I want to make sure I we 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 talk about cost because that's what everyone wants to know. <laughs> uh, Expensive the budget, the budget, yeah. So uh, how much more did you spend? More do you think on going passive house? Probably yes, but I think we mm -hmm. also spent more on our fixtures and fittings as well. So we initially set off to try and do this for a build cost of £400,000. And it's come in at around about five fifty, maybe a little bit under that. That was our contract price. And then we've got a few costs above that, that, um, you know, different people that we've hired. So it probably nudges it closer to 600000 So it's a lot more expensive than what we were thinking on day one. We did have a part of was the process that day where... One, was that day one six years ago? No, that probably wasn't day one, six years ago. Right. Day one, six years ago, I would have. Well, yeah, it was tricky because day one, 
I think you have no sense of how to set yeah. a budget. So yeah. I thought, well, well, I live in a, a house. Like that, I and if you knew it was that match, would you even start? You know, if you, if you knew you're going to spend six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, well, that's a good question. I don't know. I think you find yourself tied up in the process, and certainly when you make decisions that commit you, <laughs> then you've got to keep going. But I, yeah. I can totally understand how people might think, oh, I don't have the money now, but the house isn't going to be finished for another year. I'll have the mm. money by then, and then they go down that path, and actually nothing changes over that year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we were lucky that we went through a value engineering phase so obviously the house is quite a compact form to begin with but there were certain costs that we could have cut and we just decided actually this is not what we want to do we have thought of the house and how we want to live and we're not prepared to take those um, compromises the other thing is i suppose you could have delayed things so we have a balcony we have a garage we could have delayed both of those parts and save ourselves quite a lot of money but again we were in a position that we just thought let's go for it and we'll sort this out afterwards and we're just about afloat so that's the main thing yeah yeah but like you say a lot of that's just normal building uh practice it's not not necessarily the fact that it's a passive house right yeah i don't think being a passive house adds that much you've got to think that there are certain things that you're getting extra you've got very good quality components doors mm. windows you've got a lot more insulation than you would be getting and you've invested in a design that is is more you know it's better they've they've thought it through mm. and then you've got the other side yes you have to have a mechanical ventilation system recovering that heat but you don't have to have ten thousand radiators in the house yeah. I mean, my dad loves coming into the house and going over and feeling the radio so it's not even on you know he's done it about yeah, 20 million yeah. times before but it just go this is incredible <laughs> and th that was very fun in the first couple of weeks we had no internet and for some crazy reason the boiler needs to be connected to the internet to work or to commission i think we managed to do it over 3g or something like that in the end but that just you know we had no heating and we were looking at how warm the house was and how stable it was when it went down to zero outside and that, that's really exciting i don't think it would have worked had we gone into the very cold months where that we would, wouldn't see any sunshine but because we had the sunshine coming in all the time and even though the temperatures were dipping down in the evening you could just see how clever it is and how much sense it makes but that's very impressive for a house to be looking after itself looking after you when it's zero degrees outside yeah, and I think this has got to be the big factor that sells it, that once you're living this way, uh, admittedly, I haven't gone through some summers because that should also be an advantage. Mm -hmm. And I think yep. something that self-builders, owner-builders need to consider is it's really the overheating. The winter stuff, it takes yep. care of very easily if it's built yep. properly. But yep. getting that overheating risk right down is a really, really good idea. And I was very, very relieved to see, uh, obviously, I, we selected... Um, an architect who'd done this numerous times before because I think that makes sure that you're not the learning curve and our yeah. overheating risk is zero. So that means 0% of the time we should go over 25 degrees. Now that to me is slightly counterintuitive. I think, well, hold on, how is that even possible? What happens if it's 40 degrees outside? Are we really saying it's going to be uh, a nice stable 25 inside? But I, I need to go through a few summers to get that one out in my head, work it out. Mm. So so that's based on your PHPP modelling yes on mm -hmm. on the local climate data there right so i a, guess so i guess yeah. that's the point that we're not going up to 40 degrees we've every 10 years or so we have a 30 degree spell or whatever and we've had a really yeah. 
dry, warm year. But actually, how high have those temperatures gone? Probably not very high. Before we go on, I'd just like to say a quick thanks to Proclimber, who helped make this show possible. Proclimber's air tightness and weather tightness building systems, in combination with effective insulation and appropriate ventilation, create energy-efficient, low-allergen-emitting, comfortable, healthy buildings. Proclimber's patented systems also ensure the long-term effectiveness of insulation and the structural durability of the building by protecting it from moisture damage, thereby making sure your healthy, energy-efficient and eco-friendly environment remains that way for years to come. Check them out at proclimber.com.au or proclimber.co.nz. Proclimber, and the insulation is perfect. So um, the the cost aside, it's it's a building project. It's, it's escalated. Um, that's fine. You you you're happy with the uh, the end result. What what's one thing that uh, was the, was the that you were surprised? It was a struggle. What what one thing that stood out that was a bit of a challenge to get to the passive house standard? I don't think there have been any major struggles on this project there have been lots of little things as we've gone along um it's, it's very hard to remember them after you've completed the building but they're always having i mean one's just popped into my mind which is just so minor it's probably not even worth mentioning but if the more you're on site the more you can catch little things that mm-hmm. might go wrong so i'll give you an example of a tiling pattern that we had for one of our bathrooms and this information hadn't got through to the tiler that's actually his fault or the contractor's fault you know we could have said take all those tiles off and start all over again mm. the point was it still looked really good it was just the tiling pattern hadn't gone through so right. if we'd been on site and we caught that at the beginning maybe we would have said take off yeah. those 10 tiles and start yeah, again yeah. but when they've done yeah. a whole bathroom and you know he is going to he's going to be down a thousand pounds whatever in his pocket mm. because it's going to be him who's going to have to pay for it and the same we had some retaining walls which were um we meant to step up so that the children don't jump and fall off them and so that if you imagine two um timber sleeper Mm -hmm. retaining walls that were Mm -hmm. separated a bit well on the original plans it had said you know have a chat with the clients as to how far apart those should be but it had put a specification in there so that had actually been started and i had an inkling at the time when i looked at it thinking that doesn't look right and i phoned up Kay and said you know is this right that it steps up like that and i think i just didn't communicate it very well because she said no that sounds about right and then what happened was we hadn't really discussed the bit in between how far they should be apart and so if the kids fall off them now they bang themselves on the bottom sleeper and <laughs> oh but it, it doesn't make that much difference we just don't have as much planting room in between them but there are lots of those little things so i think what we yeah what we did do right as i say is we got someone who well we paid for a full service on both architect and contractor and we made sure those two people were the best possible people that they could be and at that point you just you step back and you make sure that they are leading the way so mm. i think so that invested that in finding helped. the finding the right people 
because we can do that, I'm not saying everyone has that luxury, but in our particular position, and I was very keen because I would like to do some other project again. Mm-hmm. So get this right, because if you if the first experience is bad, maybe I will never want to do this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So were there any, was there anything specific to uh, the airtightness or the passive house uh, specification or systems that um, – where it was a challenge you mentioned that the block work like had all the contractors worked on a passive house building before no it was their first one right the architect always says if so long as they buy into it mm-hmm. so you know they have to want to achieve this themselves you're absolutely fine because then they're not going to cut corners and think well this product doesn't need to be here i'll tell you what i'll down spec it because um you know i need to make some money back or whatever it might be so if they buy into it then you are okay and yeah our contractor was really keen to do a passive house. In fact, I get the impression he'd like to do another one. I said to him, you know, you want, you're a carpenter by trade. Mm -hmm. He he got, um, you know, some masonry people in to do that part of the the build. Although it's amazing how, how many skills a local contractor can have. I I just could not believe it. I guess he's been doing it for a long time. Um, But yeah, I, I think he really knew how to inside out how to do a build so just adding the passive house side of things it's not that tricky there are not that many new things the plans are very detailed saying what you've got to do and that's it you know for this building say for example the air tightness layer it changes a little bit as it goes round um so on the walls it's a plaster that's the air tightness layer Mm -hmm. and then i think it joins to a membrane underneath and a membrane over the top so it's it's all those little junctions but right actual the practice of how you do that you know he never once said oh this is this is so difficult right right <laughs> yeah yeah and and were there um some blow door tests during the process were you, were you checking quality as you went along Yes, there was a key one. I think we only had two. I'm not sure whether we were meant to have right. three. Our final test was, I think it was 0.3. So that's really good for masonry. You don't mm. get many masonries going below that. And I think it's it's that first one that's so critical because yep. once you've started plastering and you're on to second fix and so forth, you don't want to be going backwards yeah and so it was interesting i I didn't realize this before that for a masonry build you actually test when not all of the air tightness barriers are in place so you're not expecting to get 0.6 you're expecting to get around about one Mm -hmm. Um, and that's because the blocks are still exposed you're really checking out i think windows just making sure that they're all sealed well Um, in our case for example we didn't have one of our doors in which i you know i guess this might be quite common i was thinking oh goodness that's gonna mean that that might be a a big risk but if you just cover these areas then you can test everything else and that was the important thing i I think they located a couple of spots that needed a bit of attention before that final plastering took place and then yeah when it came to the last test i was a bit nervous because obviously we only had two tests and if something is wrong at that stage again it's one of those situations it's too late to do anything it would be silly to pull the house apart just to try and get a tiny bit more on your air tightness test but very relieved to get that result yeah what have you been pleasantly surprised by now that you've been in and uh, how long have you how long have you been living there now? It's coming up to four months now, mm-hmm. and I think one thing that we got right that perhaps I didn't appreciate 
would make such a difference is the interior design. And right. that's been a, a big lesson that I didn't expect to have. We ended up using someone who is on a TV show here in the UK. And nice. at the time, it, it was just Kay said, oh, you know, we both really like all of the rooms that she does. Let's mm -hmm. let's see, get in touch with her. And I thought, oh, God, you know, how much is this going to be? <laughs> Do we we really want to go down this road? Yeah. And she, you know, she we, we didn't meet her until the very end of the project. And, and that right. shows what you can do over the Internet. But right. from the first conversation, it was it was the click. You know, she said, I love what you're doing here. I think it's really good. It's really simple, but it works well. And I don't think I'm going to have to do that much because interior design isn't just picking the paint on the wall. It's about how you live in the house. Mm -hmm. And she says, I think you've already done you know, your architects have done a very good job. So we could just concentrate on more of those finishes and so forth. And we worked on Pinterest, selecting images, and that helped her to tune in and suggest things. And yeah, I think that it looks stunning. Again, you know, this is another sort of ecological side. When you step back at the end of it, I think, well, how ecological is everything that we've got in here? No doubt loads of it is from China and all the rest of it. So perhaps I've failed there, but I've learned a lot about interior design i think as you go through the project certainly the more hands-on you are you get tired and checking mm -hmm. through the specification of everything that's coming into the house it's hard work to do all mm -hmm. of that I'm, i think mm -hmm. maybe when you've got a few more projects under your belt you know what an energy drain building a house is and maybe you can handle it more but I found that tough and towards the end, I was just very ready to sit back. And that's the thing. There's, there's no clear finish line. You move into the house and you think, actually, it feels like we're just still just as busy as we've been for the last yeah. couple of years as it yeah. takes over your life. And you're unpacking boxes for the first week and you keep thinking, right, that's it. We'll be finished. And then there's decoration and, uh, and bringing plants in. You know, everything It just keeps on going and going and going. And it was actually very much coming into this year that things seem to calm down. I don't know whether it's a momentary lull because obviously the whole of the landscaping, it's just a pile of mud out there at the moment and yeah. that will need to be tackled. But it does feel like how much more can you do? There are putting a few pictures up, which we've got ready to go. We just haven't done that last bit. Um, and we've had you know a few architects come around and say, well, actually you've got something that is very finished even now when you think there are lots of things to finish and that's something that i think a lot of people that build a house actually live in a half completed house yeah, for quite yeah. some time so yeah. i think we've managed to avoid that but yeah we would we would like those extra little tweaks i think you just keep on going <laughs> yeah what's next for you ben well there's actually a good podcast to listen to called What Next for House Planning Help, my first one of 2019, yeah. where I go through everything. But I'll, I'll share roughly what I said in that, which is I don't think there's any point in me building another house for myself, because mm -hmm. why would I do that? I've built a house for mm -hmm. myself that I really like. And OK, maybe there are things that, you know, <laughs> that's something else to bear in mind that if you're building in a partnership where it is a true partnership, then there's got to be compromise in that. So there's compromise in quite a lot of the journey. And Kay wasn't too keen on having solar panels on the roof or anything like that. Whereas if I'd been building this myself, I probably would have thought no brainer, put PV on the roof. You know, that right. is something to yep. do. So yep. I do think that that and also the look of the house, she has always loved old houses. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, I don't want to be building an old house. You know, that's that's the worst possible thing you can do. So what we've ended up with, I think, is quite 
a classic way of dealing with that, that we've got traditional materials. So yep. we have got lime render and clay tiles and all the yeah. rest of it. But actually, I think if you look at it from the outside, you couldn't mistake it as an old building. It's a modern building. Uh, yeah, it's just yeah. quite a clever in between. It's not contemporary. Yeah. What did someone call it? Soft contemporary is Soft. what you could say. <laughs> nice. Soft, I don't know what that well, means. It's got the classic lines. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a house... A house from any era designed well uh, has got a sort of a standard pitch roof and similar proportion windows. It's it's got that look about it, but just with maybe more more yeah. modern finishes and a contemporary finish. Yeah, you're right about the proportions. I think that is a key part. Yeah. And what I like is that I can tell you why we've ended up with this design at the back. We've got something called a cat slide. And the biggest constraint on this project is we're very close to a neighbor. So right. it's a half acre site, but you can't build on half acre. There's no way I would be able to have afforded a half acre piece of land if most of it you couldn't build on because it's Greenbelt, yeah, yeah. which is a protected area in the UK. So yeah. we're actually squashed right up to the neighbor and we're pushed right up to the line of right, the Greenbelt. Right. And that's why at the back, the roof, just to get a bit more light across to the neighbors, we've ducked it down with this cat slide. We're also, you know, this is, again, something you would never choose to do, but just for yeah, planning purposes, yeah. we've got to go down half a meter. And you would not believe how much soil that means you have to dig out. You just think half a meter. Well, it's only half a meter, isn't it? It's not very far, but that means a heck of a lot has to come out. And then you've got to deal with all of that. And a lot of it was rubbish and rubble and things like that. So mm -hmm. you have to transport it off site. So, yeah, it's uh, there's always something to think about. Mm. Very good. Hey, well, congratulations. It's been quite a journey, and uh, but you have learned a lot. And, and the great thing is that you've taken a lot of people along on that journey with you, so hopefully you've inspired them and uh, some lots more similar type of, of houses will, will come out of this project. Yeah, well, what I didn't answer is what next. I was saying not building for myself, but I would love to get involved in another project just mm -hmm. with different parameters. I think I failed a bit on budget. I failed on eco. I could have pushed things further. Um, but I don't think you beat yourself up about these things because we created a great house, a house yep. that we love. And isn't that the top priority? It's a healthy yeah, house. Yeah. Um you know, you can't complain. There will always be something. I, I think if you set out to build a perfect house, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Yeah. But, and I think those key things that you've done, that though, those are so applicable to whatever anyone else is doing because it is so comfortable, so healthy, efficient, and then people can choose to add more eco this or make it, more sustainable in in the landscaping you, you can add you can hang a lot on to that core functionality and performance yeah i think so and you know we will go on learning one thing that i haven't done on this project and i'm quite pleased i haven't done it but i don't really understand much about the smart technology and whether there are many energy savings within that so mm, that's mm. another area that i quite like to explore it's exciting some... to think of all the other things that, that still i have no oh, clue yeah. about you got some sensors in there you're doing any monitoring 
on my desk right now, I can tell you, oh my goodness, it's obviously, I've been so animated in here that I've gone up to 21 degrees in here. It's been, <laughs> it was a very stable 20 the whole time, but uh, yeah. <laughs> chatting yeah. to you has taken me up to 21 <laughs> and I'm, I'm 50% humidity. So um, no um, inbuilt sensors or anything like right, that, but right. I've got these little monitors all around the house. I quite enjoy well, well, like having a look say, at that. Like you say, I'll be, it'll be very interesting uh, going through the first summer and, uh, and seeing yes. how the house, house yes. performs then. But certainly, uh, as you are now in, in winter, in winter time, it uh, sounds like it's, it's doing what it should, which is, uh, which is very, very cool. Well, come and stay next time you're over this way. Love to do it. Love to. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Ben. Really appreciate it. And once again, uh, well done. And and uh, it's great that you've taken other people on that journey and made the, made all your learning accessible to others as well. It has been a lot of fun. Good to catch up as well. Thank you, Matthew. Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat. Uh, overdue catch up with Ben Adams-Smith from House Planning Help. And uh, I definitely encourage you to check in with uh, Ben's podcast. Uh, he recently put an out put out an episode, as he mentioned, about what his next uh, steps are now that he's accomplished his goal of building a passive house. Um, but he does have some fantastic resources there, not just if you are in the UK, uh, but for some general tips as well uh, about the process of building a passive house. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, looking forward to some more interviews coming up this year, 2019. If you do enjoy this, I'd love it if you could head over right to iTunes or wherever you download this and give us a rating, uh, write us a review, and spread the word as well. And also, if you come across projects that you think would be great to feature on this podcast, please get in touch. Matthew at homestylegreen.com. That's it for this week. Now go make a better place to live. <laughs>